I think we should be glad that we are in a market which is leading this travel recovery. What's your thought about that? How is it like to be in a market which has been tremendous and leading that recovery? It is amazing. You know, honestly, talking to some other colleagues and friends who are operating in other parts of the world, my heart honestly goes out to them because their country has remained restricted for so long and it has really had a negative effect on their business and and obviously other parts of life as well so i really take my hat off to what has happened here in the uae and the way they've managed the crisis and and been able to manage coming out of not only coming out of but handling the whole situation of the pandemic you know from the lockdown to slowly opening up with the restrictions on behaviors and things there were some stats released recently that dubai welcomed almost 4 million international visitors between January and March just this year alone. Yeah. So that's astronomical. And the Department of Economy and Tourism have never stopped marketing the city right the way through the pandemic. Hello, fellow hoteliers. Welcome back again to a brand new episode of I'm a Hotelier podcast. I'm your host, Kiran Girija, and I'm really excited today to have Glenn on the show. Glenn and I go back to Millennium days where I used to work with Millennium and Glenn used to be the GM there. Thank you so much for taking the time on a weekend to do this. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Yeah, keeping well, doing well. Thanks a lot. Kira. Right. I know we catched up during ATM. Tell us a bit more about yourself and your work. Sure. Yeah. Look, thanks for the introduction as well, Kieran. And yes, ATM was amazing and it was a pleasure to catch up out there as well. So I'm currently the general manager of the Millennium Place, Barsha Heights Hotel and Apartments. So um, the second property to be a general manager within Millennium Group. We're based down in Barsha Heights, obviously in Dubai. It's a 917 key property that I have the pleasure of running. It offers both serviced apartments and hotel style accommodation. So quite a diverse uh, offering that we have here. The property is also the, the second of the Millennium Place brand that was opened up in 2019. We've just got a third that's opened now in, in Murdoff. It's a different brand. It's a brand that was actually developed right here in Dubai. I've had the pleasure of being quite involved in working on getting that up and running and uh, implementing it here in, in the Millennium Place in Barsha Heights. Great, 900 keys, it's not a joke, it's not a small number as well, right? It's a pretty large property. It is, you know, I, I think it's funny sometimes, you have to think again because in circles when you discuss how's business and people talk about occupancy, 60%, 70%, 80% or whatever, and I think sometimes, wow, you know, when I say 70% and I don't feel that great that we're only at 70% occupancy, but still that's the equivalent of or more than some regular hotels in the city. So it is a bit of a... yeah. A yeah. surprise sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I jump on to the questions, something that I always ask the hoteliers, as a hotelier, as you know, everybody's day in a hotel or in the, within the hospitality space is different. So I want to know from your side, how does your day look like, you know, a normal work day and a work week for you? How does it start? How do you plan that? A normal work day? I think you'd know by now, mate. In this industry, I don't think we have normal work days, huh? <laughs> I'd love to say that we have everybody <laughs> running on, on clock, you know, know. 9 o'clock morning meeting, 10 o'clock walkthrough of the breakfast and et cetera, et cetera. But look, it, we know it, it doesn't really get to stick to that. But yeah. as some uh, sort of regular processes, yes, of course, we have our operations meeting. We've actually shifted that to the afternoon, by the way, because our mm. breakfasts have been so busy and we have a very busy arrival departure time around you know the 9 to 11 a.m. mark so we have that in the afternoons we have our quality meetings sales and marketing meetings revenue meetings throughout the week and there's the rounds of the property there's the various meetings with guests 
catching up with the team, going on visits with the sales team. So there's a mixture of activities that happen within a, a work day and a work week. Yeah, I'm sure. There was an interview series, I don't know where I saw that. It was called Walk the Talk. So mm-hmm. it's basically walking with the person and interviewing him. So that's something that I still have in my mind, like a walk the talk with the GM. So you know what the GM's life is on a daily basis. You start with the breakfast meeting, you end up in the engineering meeting. So actually, it could be really good to see the whole flow of where the GM is going on a regular basis. Because when I started my earlier journey, the first revenue meeting was very interesting for me because I never knew anything about hotels at that point of time. I didn't know the mechanics behind revenue management, you know, how are we pricing this? So my first revenue meeting actually kind of blew my mind. A lot of things happening in a day, like you said, starting from your daily meeting with sales and marketing to engineering or all of those departments to cover that you have, right? Definitely. You know, it's funny because you have to be a generalist and every time we have an orientation group and we we introduce ourselves to the group, the whole point of the introduction is, you know, who you are, what you do and what's your role in the scheme of things with the property operation. And sometimes I really have to think, well, what, what do I tell these guys? What do I do? Because you've got a variety of people. You've got room attendants or kitchen stewards that have maybe very little English skills and very little exposure to hotels and in the same group as maybe some of our sales managers and people like that. So uh, to be honest, yeah. it's really this role is very much as a generalist, as you said, and yeah. you try yeah. and be a specialist in all fields, but that's just impossible. So. Yeah, having that walkthrough and that exposure across all the departments is certainly important. And I think also when doing that, it's the connection with the team as well. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just sort of storm through areas and, and point and shout. You know, you need to know who's in there and what they're doing as well. And, yeah. you know, make sure they know that you're part of the team too. Hold your thought on that generalist thing because I have uh, something very specific to ask you and to take your opinion on I want to go back to your hotelier journey. I saw you started off as the front office manager and now you're a GM of the property. I've seen most of the hoteliers in the space, most of the GMs come from operational background or from the FNB background with a vision to become the GM. So, uh-huh. uh, I mean, tell us a bit about that particular journey because I'm sure, you know, that could be really inspirational for some of the young hoteliers that we have. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think if anyone aspires to be a GM one day, they need to definitely prepare themselves to work long hours, public holidays, have little pay, expect to miss out on family occasions, working night shift. That That's the hard graft of, of this industry from when you start out, you know, but definitely along the way, you will find that you have a life full of surprises. There's some exciting and maybe some not so exciting times, but you meet amazing and unforgettable people. And you can also travel very well with this industry. My, my story though, it actually began before front office, believe it or not. As soon as I was 18 and, and old enough to legally work in a bar, I got a job as a barman. I did a week's course to learn how to mix drinks and things like this. And uh, I thought it was cool. It was relatively relaxed. I was in my local neighborhood mopping floors, pouring drinks, stacking cases, you know, um, trying to just gain work experience. But interestingly enough, and I hope I don't upset too many people, I really realized after I moved out of the club and gained a bit of work in a hotel as a waiter that F&B really was not for me. That was during my traineeship. I'm resetting a restaurant, having to mop the floor, reset tables, set up a buffet at like two in the morning after dinner. I'm thinking, where all of our guests have gone home. Why am I still here? No. (laughs) 
So thankfully, I, I moved across into into front office, and I had the pleasure of of spending about thirteen years in what is now the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney. I started there when it was previously branded and worked my way up from reservations to front office manager. And, and through there, I, I transferred over to the Middle East, spent some time in Oman before coming to Dubai and have more or less sort of been in Dubai since. And uh, I think one thing that is a bit unique about my journey is that I've worked in an 83-room historic hotel in Sydney I've worked in a 573 luxury city hotel. I've worked five-star beach resort, four-star beach resort, service departments, city hotels, been through various system upgrades, served celebrities and, and parliamentary figures. We've been through refurbishment programs, rebrandings, openings. So it's a really diversified exposure. You know, I, I never really want to see myself pigeonholed as, oh, well, you're the resort guy or you're the hotel guy or, or you're the opening guy or whatever, mm. you know. I think you need to be flexible. You need to have an open mind and you, you take what challenges come up in your way and, and thankfully it's worked well for me. I've got to where I am and I'm really quite proud of what I've achieved. And during the peak of that growth, my wife and I were raising three kids. So it was quite a juggle both on a personal side as well as the, the professional side. But it's definitely paid off and, and I wouldn't swap this industry for anything else. I think the diversity in the experience is what counts, right? When you were telling me, I, I can actually see the experiences, you know, with the celebrities, with the parliamentarians. Well, yeah. And, and to be honest, I have worked my way up through the industry. You know, yes, I've done my studies, but I, I really believe that you get so much more from living life, whether that's having the opportunity to travel and experience other cultures and other countries or even in the work environment and being able to spend a couple of years doing a role is really beneficial and, and it sort of, I mean, I'm not really surprised, but it, it does surprise me still that it seems that the current generation are more uh, fixed on moving up quicker. But I just feel that you move up quicker and you, you miss that opportunity for a lot of experiences to really ground yourself in a particular area, no matter what area that may be. Maybe it's about starting early and not giving up. It's it's not an easy yeah. thing, right? You can't give up to to that struggle that you're going to have in the next maybe 10 years. No, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Stay true to yourself and keep going for it. You know, yeah. if that's your goal, then stick at it. Yeah. I wanted to just get a couple more insights from that generalist role. Getting the expertise opinions or the expertise from each and every department is a tough thing as well. First of all, finding the right skill set. Second of all, understanding are the other person's expertise and making sense of that and trusting that person's expertise and making decisions out of that. How do you deal with that situation? Well, yeah, I, I think it, it really just comes down to, to people management. You do need to have developed as much exposure, I think, and experience along the way. You know, getting that exposure across different disciplines, even if that's when you're in a particular role and you have the opportunity to do even some cross exposure and you spend a couple of months for a few hours a day in another department. So that has definitely helped to manage those areas that I'm not a specialist in, right? And then the other side of it, I think, so besides you get that sort of insight, at least you have some awareness and some knowledge. Then the next step is really like the, the old saying goes, inspect what you expect. So there's been many times when um, you ask a question and, uh, you know, for example, is such and such been fixed or has this been done? And the answer comes across as yes. 
And then when you ask or dig a little deeper, you then can find out very quickly whether it really has been and to what degree it's been done. So, or you walk with them and say, show me what it is that you've done. So when you're working like that and you're working with your team, you do get to develop those relationships. You also, I, I think, along the way, you, you develop your people management and people awareness ability, your emotional intelligence. And I think sometimes can pick up are these people switched on? Are they detailed or are they a lot of talk and little action? Yeah. Or are they delegating everything to everybody else and they don't really know what's going on in the area? So it's a mixture of a lot of things to be able to manage the team there. I think you might find that my team will tell you if you ask that I micromanage a bit and I don't switch off, that I'm a bit of a pain in the side sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, right, it's my ship, it's my head that's on the line. And yeah. if I want to make sure that, you know, a room has been triple checked before a VIP arrives, then it needs to be checked, right? Yeah. And then you need to go and check it yourself. But a lot of it also comes down to the trust that you develop along that way, along with that emotional intelligence. When you're working with someone and you see that they're supporting you and they're dedicated to what they do and they're thorough in what they do, and you go through those checking mechanisms. And sometimes those checking mechanisms can be when you're having a chat with a, a peer somewhere else who's worked with that person before, you know, what were they like with you? And that also gives you a little bit of insight. Then the, the trust develops. And it's not only the trust that you develop with them, but it also has to be the trust that they develop with you. Because uh, if they don't have that feeling of trust from you, then you're not really gonna have them on board and going in that same direction. And, so, then you, and then you learn as well, right? Every conversation with an expert, you learn. That's what I do when, whenever I'm talking to somebody, if it is a business-related conversation, I try mm -hmm. to grab as much as information as possible from that expert person because I am taking all this information which he or she has taken some time to you know, grab and understand. So I think yes. you would also do the same. You know, that is a big part of, of my learnings as well through the, the industry and, and the time that I've had. And I had a, an experience recently where one of my corporate leaders had said to me, look, you know, the next meeting that you have with the owners, why don't you take your this person along with you? Because it'd be good development for them. And at first I sort of thought, well, geez, you know, it's an important meeting. It's with the owners, da 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 maybe not so. But at the end of the day, it, it I, I did take him along and it was a great experience. And, and at the end of the day, that's how people learn, right? So, yeah, not only for yourself to keep learning, but to help develop others along the way as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's the segue to the next question about owners. DMs are the closest to the owners and you take all the heat. How is it like working directly with the owners, especially in this part of the region? where it all, it's not a straightforward thing. No, it's not. I guess really, Kieran, it comes down to who the owner is, you know, because over here you've got different entities with yeah. the property that I've been involved in. And I was also interim GM at a few properties. So you could have maybe an owner's representative who's an employee. You could have a company that's been appointed as the management the company on behalf of the owner to report to, or you could be reporting directly to the owner themselves. So in, in my case at the moment, it's reporting directly to the owner themselves. It is interesting because yes, you do find out very quickly as a general manager that while it's great that you have all these people around you working with you, supporting you, you're really sitting there on your own at the end of the day. And what you do and what you say and how you manage that person, whether that's the owner or the owner rep, will really determine how that relationship will go and either it will be a, a nice, solid, pretty straightforward relationship or it'll be a rocky, prickly one as well, you know? 
So I, I think you really need to understand who it is that your owner is and understand how they think and what they're looking for, what their expectations are. Obviously, it's profit at the end of the day and, and go from there. You know, I, I think also it's important to make sure that there is honesty and integrity because you don't want surprises to pop out and the owner to find them you know you don't want if you see that like with covid when you can see things are starting to tank because business is just not there international travel is going to stop you want to make make sure you keep them in touch and let them know what you're doing to help protect the business because at the end of the day they've got a lot of money invested in that business and and you're the person that's appointed there to steer the ship for them so yeah it, there's a lot of challenges there and it really depends on who that person is and, and how you manage that relationship since we are in the business of running hotels and as mm -hmm. you know the share of uh, the retail business which is mostly driven by the otas and the direct segments especially for markets like dubai is growing right it's, it's growing mm -hmm. in, a, in a positive trend uh, which means that you know the guests who are deciding to travel to the destination book with the hotel are mostly influenced by the marketing efforts or, or marketing or distribution efforts of the hotel. How are you leveraging this trend in retail for your hotel? Sure. I look, I mean, I think this is quite a, an interesting topic because, yes, we're at that time now where it's like the lid has been ripped off and revenge travel is happening. And, and what I've noticed over the last two quarters, I would say, when we, we hit October 2021 through until March of of this year, 2022, we went through incredible highs and some lows as well. And it really shows that you still, as much as retail business grows, you really need to make sure you have your base business and you need to be confident that the base business you've got is the right type of business and is going to carry you through those flat spells. So if you remember, October really picked up because Expo had started and in November things were going along well until they announced Omicron and then December was almost decimated. It was really, really, really soft. So what I have found that works for us is that we've definitely made headroads through the wholesale segments. So partnering with various local agents to be able to get attraction in various overseas markets such as France, Russia, before the sometime before, obviously, Ukraine as well, Mexico, Latin America. And what I found is that with the headway that was made earlier on through the wholesale segments, you know, that builds up the brand and the name of the property in that region as well. And we started to see, particularly from the French market, a lot of direct bookings starting to come through afterwards. And then not only that, we're seeing quite a few bookings that have been coming through from Russia even directly now through various OTAs and the brand side. So it's very interesting to see that, yes, well, we need to make sure we manage the retail segment and that's the best segment to really drive your ADR. You also need to make sure that you've done the, the hard yards beforehand to get the property exposed in various international markets by leveraging those wholesale partners. Yeah. The interesting part is that you build your base, you build your foundation, and then you're getting the spillover traffic into retail from those segments as well. Some part of that retail business is influenced by that base business that you're getting, right? That's really interesting. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, we can't ignore also the social media side and the influences. 
Uh, we had a group, uh, what do you call them again, sorry, uh, these uh, footballers, they're like the Harlem Globetrotters, but with a football. And we, there was about six of them, they're, they were French, they came over, they stayed about three or four nights with us, and then they stayed a, a few nights also in the Millennium Place Marina, and they were taking clips through the hotel and around Dubai of, of you know, playing with the ball. And when I say playing with the ball, these are the guys that, you know, spin it on their head, catch the ball in the back of their neck, they do all sorts of amazing skills with it. And it was not that much longer after they had released all of this that we started to see an increase again in the French market. So okay. the social media side also definitely is having a huge influence in that segment. It goes back to building that foundation on your you know, base channels and at the same time uh, the new channels including social media marketing and influencer marketing. But I think this, this trend of retail bookings is going to continue especially for this market because Dubai as a destination is big on promoting the destination. So uh, the hotels around the destination is definitely going to get uh, some share of that. Definitely. And I think that's where your guest reviews and your guest satisfaction indexes come into play, you know, because even back in 2015, Focusrite had put out a report that 95% of respondents read reviews before booking. And I don't think anything has changed since 2015. So if 95% of your travelers are going to be looking at your reviews on the property, you want to make damn sure that they're positive, you know, yeah. or even if they're not positive, that the, the feedback or the response to them is justifiable and shows that you're making an effort to correct the problems that may have popped up during that particular person's stay. Yeah, so if, if you look at the ATM, the meetings that I had mostly were with, I think 70% of the meetings were with hotel tech players. And then hotel tech is also becoming really, really big. If you look at the hospitality space, I think most of the hotels are investing big on technology. Technology is helping us so much that before even the guest comes in, we know what the guest is looking for, what are the guests interested in. From a hotel's perspective, what do you think is the most important factors that you want to know about the guest before they check in so that you can give them the right experience so that they go back and you know have their reviews posted positively about the property. It, it goes full circle, correct? It does, yeah, definitely. And, and I think at the end of the day, if I was to say it in one word of what you want to get as a hotel before the guest arrives, it would have to be just expectations, you know. So whether that be their room expectation or how the arrival experience or whatever the case may be, you know, it's, it's been going on for donkey's years and I, I think it will always go on while we are human that someone's coming to stay on their anniversary or birthday, they want to be recognised for that. You know, somebody's definitely a non-smoker. They want to make sure they get a non-smoking room. So the simple, simple things like this, I don't think we'll ever go away from needing to know that before somebody arrives or even the time of their arrival. I mean, simple, it, honestly, Kieran, it can just be simple things that we need to know from the guests that can change the experience completely. And as much as there is the drive for all of the data and big data, I, I think that's all well and good so long as you have the processes supported in the company as well to be able to manage that data. So at least that way you're, you're getting one of what the guest wants and needs. But then also what you're finding out through some of the big data is how are they booking? When are they booking? What is the inspiration for their booking? What's their journey from the inspiration to travel to the, the dreaming of it to the destination deciding factor? Yeah, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues last day, finding out from a particular destination, what were the guests thinking while booking this property? Why did they make that decision to come and stay with your property? And I just wanted to find out what was their thought process before they made that decision to 
travel to a destination and to make that booking. I think these are all factors really, really important. But like you said, I think it's a hybrid model. You know, it cannot, mm. we cannot just depend upon the data to feed us, but what do we do about the data? Let's say we have that sitting in the CRM during check-in, we see the guest profiles is completed 50%. But again, like you said, if it is just the arrival time, that's mm. good enough for you to engage or, you know, make that stay personalized. Mm. There are the technologies helping us do that to a good extent, but I think it's more for us to what do we make use of that data. Well, exactly. And I think one thing that we all see is, for example, the drive from one in particular OTA who's offering mobile booking discounts, right? Because there's data now that shows that, you know, when people book about, I think it's around about 70 to 80% of them are actually booking through their mobile device and through a desktop. So that's the thing. If you have that data, you need to be able to utilize it and you need to be able to have the time to dissect it and understand what you want to do with it. So if you know that, for example, through your brand website that you get most of your bookings from, I don't know, let's say from the UAE, which is what happens with us. Then you want to have a look at maybe then which part of the UAE and at what time of the day. And then you can determine some of your marketing efforts. You know, what time are you going to be sending out your updates? What time do you send out your promotions? Who are you sending your promotions to and whatnot? Technology always comes with cost. Any systems that we implement in, in the property also comes with a cost. And then getting hold of that cost is something that GMs work very closely with the finance. That's the line item that we always look at the PNL that you always have an eye on. What's your strategy around it? How do you make that commercial decision of where to invest? Yeah, I, I'll give you a real life example. When we opened this hotel, I found that we had the version of the door lock system that would allow us to provide the guest with the ability to open the door lock with their mobile phone. And that's brilliant. You know, that's great. It's contactless. It's what people are looking for in the days of COVID to make sure that you don't have to touch things that are not your own and you can feel safer. But then when you look at the cost of the interface and the cost of the license to actually implement that to the fact of what process can you implement to then sterilize a room key before you give it to a guest, it doesn't take too long to see that, well, okay, I think we can still get by with issuing room keys for the time being. Because at the end of the day, also, when you do open up that door, we have the energy saving slot in the room as well. And the energy saving slot needs to have a key in to activate your power in the room. And then you take the key out to save your power. So, so we therefore then took a decision to, to stick with the room key as it's practical and it can be managed to, to be safe. But I think at the end of the day as well, as much as we need to look at cost, I, I think it's more important to have a look at your revenues because if you keep thinking, okay, well, I'll cut my cost here and I'll cut my cost there, pretty soon you're not going to have much offering, much service or much quality left. And then you're going to have to start to jeopardize your rates and your pricing. And then therefore your profit is going to, to shrivel up. So, you know, for, for quite some time, we've been very well versed at, at managing our costs. I remember pre-COVID from the period of maybe 2016, 17 through to about 2019, our industry was on a bit of a downward trend. You know, there was a lot of hotels in the city. The demand was sort of tapering off a bit and there was a lot of drive to manage costs at that point. But I think where we are now in this day and age, we really need to look at the top line and the revenues 
and obviously room revenue is your most profitable and then you go from there with every other opportunity that you can squeeze out you know we offer an incentive for example for our laundry team to try and drive some laundry revenue and the housekeeping team you know room service have some set items that they are also incentivized on to try and upsell guests to so if you keep driving that top line then you should be able to manage your costs better and end up delivering to your owner a, a healthier NOP. COVID was the time when finance guys have been deep and detailed into each and every line item of the PNL and maybe made some kind of an assumptions on what could be a long-term strategy from a cost perspective. There was a lot of learning from COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody had to turn their world upside down or that word that everybody loves, pivot. You know, we all pivoted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... But it has taught us a lot. But you know what? One thing it has also taught me is that remember what humans are because at the start of it, when we all locked down and all had to retreat into our shells and everyone started Zooming and having Microsoft team meetings, you know, the word was, wow, this is the new future. This is, this is what life is going to be like. We're not going to be having meetings anymore. We don't need the office space anymore. Forget about all of that. And then you turn the clock forward again to 2022. You look at what happened at ATM and you had, what, about 30,000 people there coming to visit at ATM, plus the exhibitors, and everybody was just loving that personal interaction. So we need to make sure we still look at what we need to do as people to encourage and maintain that social interaction. I posted something on LinkedIn last day about edtech kind of grew really, really big during COVID because there was no schools open during that time and everybody is doing online. Edtech is back on hybrid. Now, if you look at Indian market, which is the largest in edtech, they are all hybrid. They are, they are going offline as well. So it's no longer the online thing. It is hybrid. Yes, you're right, because you do need to have that balance too, right? And there will be some times where it would be more beneficial to keep that hybrid model going. Yes, and we've seen that on ATM as well, you know, people coming back in large numbers. I think we should be glad that we are in a market which is leading this travel recovery. What's your thought about that? How is it like to be in a market which has been tremendous and leading that recovery? It is amazing. You know, honestly, talking to some other colleagues and friends who are operating in other parts of the world, my heart honestly goes out to them because their country has remained restricted for so long and it has really had a negative effect on their business and and obviously other parts of life as well so i really take my hat off to what has happened here in the uae and the way they've managed the crisis and and been able to manage coming out of not only coming out of but handling the whole situation of the pandemic you know from the lockdown to slowly opening up with the restrictions on behaviors and things there were some stats released recently that dubai welcomed almost 4 million international visitors between January and March just this year alone. So that's astronomical. And the Department of Economy and Tourism have never stopped marketing the city right the way through the pandemic. I love those, you know, you can work from anywhere, so why not work from here ads? I mean, they were a classic. And that's what has really kept this city front of mind, I think, for a lot of people who then started to search and think, well, one day I'm going to be able to get out of my hometown and travel. Where am I going to go? And I want to go somewhere that's safe. I want to go somewhere that's a, a nice place to be. Something that has either for me as a young couple or me as a middle-aged family person or me with young kids. And I think Dubai ticks all of those points. It's really hard to be a part of it. Yeah.
Okay, coming to the end of the podcast, as a hotelier, you've shared so many great experiences. I, I had, in my tiny experience within the hospitality space, I've had great fun. I can't deny that. But do you think hospitality is fun? Being a hotelier is fun? I'm sure you have many experiences. Any fun experiences? I would say, and, you know, please, guys, don't hate me for this because I am an old person. I've had about almost 30 years in the industry, but I have to take myself back to 1999, New Year's Eve. Do you remember New Year's Eve 1999, Kieran? <laughs> no. So this was, take yourself back, this is 1999, the Y2K bug. Everyone had been freaking out for like the year and a half oh, yeah. two years prior that no system, no one was going to work. Every computer... Oh, yeah shut down because it goes to year zero zero. So we had spent 12 months upgrading our systems and putting in various procedures in place. And we were all set on New Year's Eve to make sure that we were safe. If the whole world collapsed, you know, we're, we're ready to go kind of thing. And I can't help but laugh even just thinking of that now when I think <laughs> back to it. But on that particular New Year's Eve, I was in Sydney. The city was jam packed. It was full. People had booked to stay in our hotel for that year, six years beforehand. So the hotel opened in 93 and they had made bookings back then for that new year. Did it have a view? Like what's, what's the thing? Oh, that? It, it had tremendous views. Sydney Harbour, the Opera House, Circular Quay, the whole shebang. So it was a perfect location for the fireworks, right? right? So we were in the telephone room, the general manager, I was front office manager at the time, our hotel manager, the security director, we were all there in our telephone room just waiting for midnight to tick over. And we, we were there because that was kind of like the central operations area for communication. Midnight ticked over, everything is perfectly working fine. We go, yay, hurrah, we can get back to lives. Quick, let's go check out the fireworks. So as we're leaving the room, I quickly flicked off the light switch just for a second <laughs> and then switched it back on again. And the GM at the time, his face was ashen. He oh was almost, he was like clutching his heart going, oh my God, what, I thought we were going to collapse. I thought everything. <laughs> I tell you what, to this day, whenever I'm back in touch with him or our hotel manager, you know it always comes up it's and and you know this industry i think allows for a little bit of what we yeah. call australian larrikin activities you know because i think you have to you have to have these moments of great fun enjoy the camaraderie of the yeah. people that you're working with because you know you're working your butt off right it's it's yeah. hard yards long hours and it's the people that you're working with that really make it so much fun i think yeah, it's a fun story that you said. The space is really fun because we're dealing with the multiple departments within one single organization, you know, dining, wedding, yeah. office. So it's really fun. And that's the thing that I like about being a hotelier, that it, at the end of the day, it is, it is fun uh, being a hotelier. Sorry, mate, if I can just take another minute or yeah, two. Sure, sure. There was one guy I had hired many, many years ago as a front office um, trainer. And, and he was a kid who had a bit of front office experience, but he had huge goals. He had always said to me, I want to work for this company because I know how big they are with training and, and whatnot. And I want to I want to rise to the top. And the funny thing was his name was also the first name of our general manager at the time. So he sort of played on that a little bit. But gee, okay. what he did, he... And this is the thing about fun in the industry, you know, he took our training to a different level there. You know, he was really out in the field. He had people dancing, dressing up, hmm. uh, doing all sorts of role play, really interesting stuff to, to get them to learn their job. And 
And that's the other side of fun as well, where you can incorporate that in your work. And it, that also helps build that camaraderie between the team. And, and he's gone off. He's now living his life in Hawaii and he's done very, very well for himself in this industry as well. If he's still in hospitality, I would like to bring him on the show sometime. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. It's been a while since I've been in touch. Arthur yeah. is his name. But yeah, I'll reach out to him for sure. Yeah. All right. So coming to the end of the podcast, you know, I think we've shared so many examples here in a commercial, your journey. What's the one thing that you want to share with the hoteliers? It could be something that you do on a you know daily basis. If there is a productivity hack, is there a book that you're reading? Is there a blueprint that you're following that, that can help anybody who's listening? Well, look, um, I, I'm not much of a blueprint kind of guy, I don't think. But if there is one thing that I believe it's an oldie but a goodie, um, Stephen Covey in his Seven Habits book. I went through that in 2006, 2007 for the very first time. And it really blew my mind about the behaviors that you can, that you should develop to be successful, not just in, in work, but in, in life as well. And I had the, the pleasure of reading through it again just last year. And it, it is a really good reminder about the behaviors that you should have and develop and keep working on to make sure that you can be successful. And, and it's not just success as in monetary success, but it's yeah. success in many, many areas. I don't know how many people read books these days, but maybe it's available on Kindle. Who knows? But honestly, I think for a tip for any young hoteliers that are starting out and that are wanting to get into the industry and move on up in the industry is just to remember that the world is small and our industry is much smaller. So no matter what good things or bad things come your way, don't burn your bridges. You know, you don't want to do the wrong thing by the company you're working with or the people that you're working with because it won't take long for that reputation to get around town. And it's yeah. much better that your reputation within the industry is positive and strong because that will only help you as you do move up through your career. Yeah, I agree. Yesterday I was having a chat with one of my ex-colleagues on LinkedIn and she said relationship is what is the strongest in this industry. As long as we have that relationship between the peers, between the industry colleagues, you know, it's all good there. So like you said, very small industry and when it comes mm -hmm. to maybe Dubai you know everybody knows everybody <laughs> yeah so, exactly. uh, yeah it's a good tip yeah I mean one of my very first GMs when I did my traineeship I found over here in Dubai what about 10 12 years later you know so yeah it, it, we get around the world very easily us hoteliers I think you know and yeah, before yeah. you might find you're working on a tiny little island somewhere in the Indian Ocean or Pacific Ocean and you'll be working with someone who knows very well maybe your past colleagues or your past boss or something you know yeah all right well glenn thanks a lot for spending almost 45 minutes with me <laughs> thanks a lot for taking the time really appreciate it and hopefully we'll catch up again soon we will indeed yeah stay in touch here yeah. thank you very much kieran i appreciate it and and best of luck with the podcasts I'm, I'm looking forward to more of them coming online soon thank you so much take care hey before you go thanks a lot for listening I know you could have spent your time anywhere else, but you decided to listen to my podcast. Thank you very much again. I would appreciate if you hit the subscribe button. If you are a fan, leave a five-star review and let your friends know. My email is kiran at amahotelier.com. Let me know if you or anyone else in your network would like to be part of the show. Send me a note with feedback, topic ideas, or whatever it might be. That's a wrap. See you in the next episode. Take care.